You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want to read for us starting in verse 1, just as a refresher for what we've already discussed. And we're going to read through uh, verse 10 today. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. We've talked for the past couple of weeks um, about the Gospel of John. We talked from an introductory standpoint that John is a book written to us for a specific purpose. The, The collections of the stories and the accounts of Jesus were chosen specifically to help us believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Um, And so John's very careful in the things that he includes in his gospel uh, to make sure that everything there is meant to point us in that direction of belief, both an initial belief and a sustaining belief in Jesus. And then we said uh, in our first week that it's so important that we have a clear understanding about the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus, that we have to believe rightly about Jesus, that we've got to get Jesus right when it comes to our belief system. And then last week we talked about how he is both life and light and how he delivers us from fear and darkness and death. And we saw again how he's the eternal, preexistent, distinct, and divinely equal Jesus, that he's eternal like God, but he's distinct as the second person of the Trinity, uh, but that he's ultimately equal with God, which means that we can't call him a philosopher, a good teacher, a good example, that He's either divine or he's not divine, and if he is divine, he has every right to tell us how to live our life. Um, We talked about trusting him as the sovereign, sustaining, and intentionally creating Jesus, that he's the source of everything. Everything finds its origin in Jesus. He creates with wisdom. He creates for his purposes. He sustains every aspect of of his creation, which means that because he created every detail and controls every detail, we can trust him with every detail of our life. Um, So anything that comes into our life that we weren't expecting, that we would never have chosen, things that weren't desired. They're placed there by Jesus for specific purposes, and we can trust him through that, okay? Um, And then last, we said that uh, we we have a responsibility to respond to this life-giving and darkness-dispelling Jesus, that he creates life and helps us overcome death. He shines light into darkness and allows us to live. What we said last week is different as as night and day. Um, that if he is light shining into darkness, when we come to salvation, then our life should look drastically different. Um, It just should uh, as a result of salvation. All right, and so from an application standpoint last week, I I challenged you in the area of whether or not our rapid reaction to circumstances in life is to trust Jesus. Are we closing that gap from panic and worry and anxiety uh, to trust? As things come into our life that we would have never chosen or picked, Are we closing the gap that it takes for us to trust Jesus and to believe in his goodness? Okay, so that brings us to our sermon today, pointing others to the light. We see that through the the life and ministry of John the Baptist. So our summary sentence for today, 
Just as John the Baptist was sent to tell others about Jesus, we also are called to point every man to Jesus with purpose, intentionality, humility, confidence, and resilience. Just as John the Baptist was sent to tell others about Jesus, we also are called to point every man to Jesus with purpose, intentionality, humility, confidence, and resilience. And we'll see how all of those ideas are communicated to us in the text today. For our kids, just like John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus, we need to do that too. All right, as you're writing that down, John the Baptist, we see him introduced here in the text. His uh, title is not placed here as it is in some other areas. Um, He is called John, but he is not the same John that is authoring the gospel. He is John, who we commonly call the Baptist, Um, And he was sent to be a forerunner, to be one who would make much of Jesus. And he comes on the scene prior to Jesus' public ministry, and he comes with the purpose of calling people to make a life-changing decision about him. Um, And our salvation should be a life-defining moment. We've got different choices and decisions that we make in life that we would look back and say, that was a life-defining decision for me. Um, Going to a certain college, choosing a certain spouse, um, Sometimes choosing a certain job that maybe transports your family into a a different state. Um, Those are life-defining decisions that we make, and salvation should certainly be at the top of that list. Um, When we come to Christ, it should radically change the direction of our life, no matter what age that looks like. You know, I shared with you last week that I got saved at an early age, but it was certainly life-defining in that it protected me and kept me from certain uh, certain journeys and certain routes that I would have taken had Christ not come to me at such an early life. Um, he sent as a witness to tell others about the light, and he was certainly prophesied uh, to do that in the Old Testament. If you read Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4, uh, specifically verses 1 in chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6 in chapter 4, both those passages predict that one would come prior to the Messiah and would point him and, and point others to the Messiah, right? And we even get the fulfillment of that um, in uh, John one seventeen. Um, where, where we find out, or I think it's actually Luke one seventeen, where we find out that, that John will be the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, okay? And so he comes to be a witness or to be a testimony, and those words are, are legal terms. He's not coming to share his opinion. He's coming to give accurate testimony, factual testimony about who Jesus is as the Son of God, okay? Um, told you earlier that he excludes a lot of information about John. He assumes that we know a lot of this already, based on our readings of the other Gospels. And so we don't find some things about John the Baptist that we would expect to find here. Um, He simply assumes that we already know that he had a baptizing ministry. In John chapter 1, verse 26, there's a reference to that. And then in John chapter 3, verse 22 through 26, John reminds us that at this point he had not yet been placed into prison, fully expecting us to recognize and realize that he does get placed into prison at some point, right? Um, and so John assumes that we know a lot about John the Baptist, and so he doesn't share that information with us. Um, I don't want to take that for granted this morning, and so I want to show a quick video um, that'll help both our adults and especially our kids kind of connect with John the Baptist. So it's a, a cartoon version of John the Baptist. I showed it to my kids maybe a year ago, and then showed it to I showed it to AJ again last night, and he remembered us watching it and talking about it. And so um, I find sometimes that. When there's things like this, it helps you remember uh, other aspects of the sermon. So I'm going to show this to you because I think it's helpful in us seeing a little bit about who John the Baptist is. 
So part of God's story is about a man we call John the Baptist, and it begins like this. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, a man named Isaiah wrote that somebody would come to prepare people for Jesus' arrival. He was talking about a guy named John the Baptist. Well, actually, his name was John. We call him the Baptist because he baptized a lot of people. Anyway, before John was even born, an angel appeared to his dad and said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your wife Elizabeth will have a child. It will be a boy, and you must name him John. He will be important in the Lord's eyes. John was important because he would get people ready for Jesus, who was coming to rescue us. Did we mention that John was Jesus' cousin? Pretty crazy, huh? Well, right from the beginning, John was a bit unusual. For starters, he spent the first part of his life in the wilderness. Maybe he slept on the ground and used rocks for pillows. Maybe he brushed his teeth with sticks. Maybe he used leaves as toilet paper. We don't know. All the Bible tells us is that he stayed in the desert until he started telling people about Jesus. Then, when he came back into civilization, he still seemed strange. He wore clothes made out of camel's hair and a leather belt. Imagine how itchy hairy clothes must have been. And for food, he ate locusts dipped in honey, just like he had eaten in the desert. You know what a locust is? It's a grasshopper. But don't worry, you don't have to eat bugs to follow Jesus. Anyway, John didn't come back from the desert to live like everybody else. He came back to teach people about Jesus. So he started telling everybody that God loves us so much, he's sending his own son to rescue us. This made a lot of people want to follow God and his son, Jesus. So John began baptizing them. That's how he got his nickname. Kids, baptism is what we do when we decide to tell everybody that we're following Jesus. While John was baptizing and teaching, some people thought he might be the rescuer. He seemed really smart, and he knew a lot about God. But John knew he needed Jesus to rescue him, just like everybody else. So he said, someone who is more powerful than I am will come. I'm not good enough to untie the straps of his sandals. John was making a point by talking about Jesus' feet. See, back then, everyone's feet were almost always dirty because they wore sandals, stepped in dust and camel poop, and didn't have showers. So when John said he wasn't good enough to untie Jesus' sandals, he was basically saying that he would feel lucky if he could help Jesus with his dirty feet. That's how much John loved Jesus. Well, even though John told everybody about Jesus, he was actually waiting for the rescue, too. Then one day, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Jesus came to the shore and asked John to baptize him. Kids, remember how John thought he'd be lucky to help Jesus clean his feet? John didn't think he was good enough to baptize Jesus, but Jesus told John to do it. And when John baptized Jesus, something really special happened. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven like a dove, and God actually said out loud, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The Bible says that heaven opened up, and John got to be a part of that with Jesus, all because he had given his whole life to follow him. And that's the story of John the Baptist. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. John was an important part of God's story. He was Jesus' cousin. He lived in the desert. He ate bugs. He told people Jesus was coming. He baptized people who wanted to follow God. He got to baptize Jesus. John followed Jesus his whole life. And that's a part of God's story.
right, so that catches us up a little bit about John the Baptist. Um, you know, I was thinking about John and, and the role that he plays in God's story, and, and I think it would be correct to say that he's the first man to have the distinct privilege of pointing people to God in human flesh, right? So you have in the Old Testament these prophets that are talking about God, talking about God the Father. They don't fully understand the Trinity maybe, and, and so Jesus shows up here um, in the New Testament, and, and John the Baptist is tasked as being the first one to really point people to God in human flesh. And so he bears witness about Jesus, that this is the Son of God, that he is the light, the true light, the one that all other lights point to. So when it talks about him being the true light, it's not that he's true in the sense of not being false, but he's ultimately true in the sense that he's the, the completion of all the other pictures of the Old Testament, Right? So when we talk about uh, the pillar of fire that was a light that, that led the, the children of Israel, when we talk about the word of God in written form being a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, I mean, those, those, are, those are references and pointing, pointing passages to Jesus, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the ultimate light, right? And so he comes to shine into darkness, to give us ultimate direction, to expose our sin. And so John the Baptist gets the chance to point people, first person to really be able to point people to God and human flesh. And Ultimately, men that believe through the witness of John led others to believe in Jesus as well. And so if we were to trace our uh, spiritual history back, it could probably be traced to John the Baptist's ministry that he ultimately was one who shared uh, and prepared the way for Jesus. People began to believe in Jesus in response to some of the, the paving that John the Baptist had done. Um, and, I, and I would say, too, that one way the darkness does not overcome the light, we said this uh, a couple weeks ago, one way that the darkness does not overcome the light is that ongoing witnesses arise to keep the light shining. So we talked about how the darkness doesn't overcome the light. Jesus isn't physically here with us, but the light continues to shine because God continues to raise up more witnesses like John the Baptist, people who are supposed to point others to Jesus. We see this idea in uh, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? We have a responsibility now that we are saved, now that we have been rescued out of darkness, now that we've been called out of it into his marvelous, marvelous light, we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him to others. Okay? So let's jump into the text here in... Uh, see what we can pull out to, to see what message God has for us today. So back in John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. First thing in our notes is that we want to be purposeful, purposeful to make much of Jesus. Be purposeful to make much of Jesus. For our kids, God calls us to tell others about Jesus. We want to be purposeful in that aspect, um, not something that we do on the side, that, that our purpose is wrapped up in the fact that we're to point people to Jesus. Uh, John's purpose was wrapped up in that. Uh, he was sent from God, and he came to be a witness, to bear witness about the light. That's what his life was about. That's what he was uh, created to do. Um, and, and so we want to follow in those footsteps. We want to be purposeful in the ways that we point others to Jesus as well. And we can see that first off in that we need to understand that God empowers us to do this type of work, that God empowers us to work in this way. 
John was sent by God, and I, and I heard one of the groups talking about um, some of the things and some of the, the circumstances that led to God sending John to do this, right? That he chose two people who were way too old to have kids and, and, and did this. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwells John very early. Um, we see his, his, his ministry being completely wrapped up in, in pointing people to Jesus. And so he was certainly empowered by God. He's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Not only does God give him this task, God had been planning to give him this task for hundreds of years. But today, we still serve as similar witnesses in the way that John was, right? And and through the Great Commission, Jesus, before he leaves his disciples, tells them, I am going to be with you, right? Like, I go with you. My presence goes with you. And it's an all-authoritative type presence, is what he says, that all authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus goes with us now to make disciples of all nations. And so God empowers us to do this, to make much of Jesus, right? So, um, you know, whatever, and we're going to talk more about this later, the context that we find ourselves in, the families that God has blessed us to be a part of, the workplaces that God has called us to, uh, the hobbies and interests and the places that those things take us, our unique context for us, the neighborhood or apartment complex or wherever it is that we live, those are unique opportunities for us to be light bearers and light shiners and people who point people to the ultimate light. And so, Whatever your job is, whatever family members that you, uh, that you have that you call family, uh, whatever hobbies and interests that God has given you a desire for, he has created you to shine light into all of those contexts. He's called you to certain places where he hasn't called others of us to, to shine light into those areas, and he's empowered us to do that, okay? Number two, we need to understand that his work is our purpose, that his work is our purpose. The Bible talks about um, the way that we live our life being done in such a way where it points people to Jesus, that our good works can, can point others to the maker and to the creator, right? So our actions and lifestyle are, are really important when it comes to us being effective lights. But we certainly have to take into account as well um, our attitudes and our words and our conversations as well. Those are other ways that we, we bear light and shine light and point people to Jesus. And so we don't want to be strictly passive in that we trust that the way that we live our life will cause people to ask questions and, and cause people to want to know the hope that is in us. We have to be very active as well. So passive in the sense that, yeah, if somebody's observing us and looking at our life, our lifestyle, our actions, they should see Jesus in the midst of those things. But they should certainly hear Jesus in the intentionality behind our conversations and the attitudes that we express at work, right? And I know some of you have been intentional in the places that you're working, right? You've been intentional in that you've started Bible studies or you've scheduled intentional lunch uh, appointments to where you're having conversations with people, people that you have identified that need the gospel, people that you've identified that, that need a church home, right? Like we've got people that are a part of our church that have come from places that we work, right? And that's a testimony to the fact that we have people in those workplaces sharing Jesus, calling people into light, and those people are now coming to our church as a result of that, right? And so, man, I would expect that that would continue, that we would continue to have more and more people who have connections within our church based on on the places that we work, because we're being effective lights in those contexts, right? So we need to understand that God empowers us. He empowers us to go into these contexts and to share Jesus, right? And then our whole purpose for being there is to point people to Jesus, right? So whatever work that you do, it's got some immediate purpose in that it helps you support your family, 
But the bigger context is that God has placed you there to be a, to be a, a one who shines light into that setting and points people ultimately to the ultimate light, right? Philippians 1, 19 and 20, Paul talks about in whatever way is necessary, he wants Christ to be honored and exalted in his life. Philippians 1, 19 through 20, Paul's wrestling with uh, staying or going on this earth, right? And so he's in prison, doesn't really know how that's going to turn out. He knows that, that persecution has already really started to ramp up and people are being killed for their faith. And so he's wrestling with this tension of, I want to go be with Jesus, right? Like I've met him, I've encountered him on the Damascus road. I want to go be with him now. But he's also torn because he says, I know I need to stay here because some of you really need me to continue investing in your life. But ultimately, Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, I want God to be honored in my body, right? Like I want my body, whatever happens to it, whatever I'm choosing to do with it, that Christ is receiving glory and honor through those decisions, okay? So understanding that our work or that his work is our purpose. We're called to be intentional with our lives for this purpose, We need to know who he is, why he's important, and how to trust him so we can communicate that message to others. Okay, so first thing here I think that we see in our text very clearly is that we have to be purposeful in pointing others to Jesus and making much of Jesus because John was. He was sent from God. He came as a witness. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That idea of all believing in Jesus, through the ministry of John, brings us to our second point. Number two, be intentional to point every man to Jesus. Be intentional to point every man to Jesus. For kids, everybody needs Jesus. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. You skip down, and it, and it says that... Um, the true light came, and it gives light to everyone. <clears throat> There's two aspects to what I think John's communicating here. Um, one, that the light of Jesus is revealed to every man without exception, and that it's also for every man without distinction. So I want to talk about what I mean by both of those things. One, the gospel of Jesus the gospel of Jesus, the, the knowledge of God specifically, right? The knowledge of God is revealed to every man when we talk about general revelation, right? The gospel of Jesus is made avail- available to every type of man, right? There's no distinction in who the gospel is available to. Um, there's no exception to who general revelation is available to, okay? So the light has been revealed It's been veiled in some aspects where general revelation, um, I believe strongly that people can't get saved by general revelation, that that there's not enough in creation to save people. That's why we have to have missionaries. We have to have missionaries who go and fill in the gaps and bring the gospel of Jesus to those individuals. But there is enough in general revelation to give us a knowledge of God that, that forces us and causes us to be accountable to that knowledge, right? And so we see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. So underneath this, number one, God reveals himself to every man without exception. General revelation is provided to everyone. We can see the the existence of God. We can see the power of God. We can see aspects of his character simply by looking around at, at what's been made around us. 
It says in verse 19 of Romans 1, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And Paul's even alluding to the idea that the light came and the light was rejected, right? That, that revelation was made about who God was and it was rejected by the creation. The creation willfully withdrew into darkness, right? The, the creation willfully stepped back from what was made available to them and said, we reject that and we choose this instead, okay? Um, and, and we see this in John, that when Jesus shows up, that, that the darkness liked its deeds better than the light, and so it stayed in its darkness, right? It didn't want to be exposed, right? And so God reveals himself to every man without exception. Number two, we must connect every man to him without distinction. We must connect every man to him without distinction because all have a place in his kingdom, all have a place in his kingdom. Um, this has been a, a different year for me in that I've been kind of on this journey in, in better understanding um, how this works from a gospel standpoint. Started uh, way back at Snowbird this past summer when Rob was doing a breakout session on racial reconciliation and did a really great job of, of exposing how the church has missed the mark in some aspects of this and has done a poor job of, of advancing God's kingdom in the area of reconciliation, right? Um, and then it's weird how, how God orchestrates events because all last semester, it seemed like um, race and ethnicity uh, were, were topics of conversation and issues that had to be resolved within the context of our middle school. Parents that I was having to sit down and meet with, uh, issues with students and teachers that had to be resolved. And so I'm, I'm working through this and trying to better understand this. I'm talking with my accountability group, things that, that I don't want to be guilty of, blind spots that I may have. And so just really, really wrestling through what this looks like as a believer, right? And then I start to get exposed to some other schools and some things that they're doing to, to create uh, diversity within their, within their uh, schools, uh, but to do so in such a way that is completely gospel-minded. Uh, and I came across a school uh, not too far from here that had adopted this type of mindset that I want to share with you that I think is really relevant to what's being described here in the Gospel of John, this idea of, of being a light to everyone. Um, and they actually received this idea from a school out in Texas. And I had the, the blessing of being able to go be a part of a conference this past week in San Antonio for our school. And the people from that school were there. It was really cool to be able to talk with some of those individuals about how God had been working in their life and creating a sensitivity towards what they see in God's word. And so they've built this, this, um, this theme of diversity within their school built around this acronym. And we're actually devoting our week this week at school at Trinity uh, to this idea. And so their focus is being very intentional to realize that God's grace is extended to people without distinction, that God doesn't make distinction about our gender, 
as far as how his grace is bestowed, right? God created male and female, creates them in his image, right? And gives both value as being part of his image, right? God creates and, and, and allows um, different uh, skin colors and cultures to spring out as people begin to spread out over the world, right? And that's not a result of sin, right? Because God had said, spread out all over the world, and man refused to. So when we see what happens at Babel, and we see the languages being confused there, and we see mankind spreading out, that's how it was supposed to be without God having to intervene, right? Like God desired, God desired there to be diversity. He says, spread out and, and get all around the world and make my excellencies known to the ends of the earth prior to Babel ever taking place, right? Ability and age. God doesn't show distinction there, right? We talked last week. Some people get saved at a very early age. Some people get saved at the back end of their life, right? Um, ability. God bestows all kinds of different abilities to us. We see that in, in the context of the church too when we talk about spiritual gifts, right? Um, God doesn't show distinction when it comes to ability. He doesn't show distinction when it comes to economic status either, right? The gospel's not for the rich, and it's not uh, strictly for the poor either. God's grace is extended to all mankind without distinction, without distinction. Uh, and that's something that I've been wrestling through and really trying to better understand based on what I see in Scripture. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, echoes what we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You fast forward to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And then a passage that we looked at extensively when we were in the book of Revelation, you fast forward and see a picture of, of what heaven is like. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? So you get this, this picture of, of there being no distinction in heaven for how the gospel is, is given. Right? That the gospel saves and it's available for all men. That general revelation has been made to every man without exception. And the gospel can be extended to every man without distinction, without distinction. Uh, and it's a beautiful picture to see how, how this can work itself out prior to heaven as well, right? And I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a situation where you've, you've been exposed to a, a teaching that you've just kind of not had before. Like I had this the first time that I really started looking at eschatology and I watched an evening in eschatology, the video that I've shared with you guys before. I remember watching that and being like, man, like, where has this been most of, my, most of my Christian life? Like, why was I never taught eschatology intentionally? There's, the Bible has so much to say about the end times. It has so much to say in Revelation, but also so much to say in other aspects of God's word as well about the end times. 
I just felt so uh, wide-eyed and didn't really know what to do with the information that I was beginning to study. That's how I feel in regards to uh, understanding this, this piece of reconciliation, that um, the things that I learned at this conference have challenged me in such a way that I can't really share with you because I feel like I'm still processing a lot of it. Um, but to sit and to talk with individuals uh, about this topic, people that have been affected on the negative side of this topic, it was really humbling to, to sit and listen to their voices. Um, but, but it was so cool to see how everybody was, was in unity about the fact that, man, we want to build churches, we want to build schools that reflect where we are headed in regards to heaven. People of every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping Jesus. Um, and we see this, I think, in the Gospel of John here, that the gospel is made available for every man so that all might believe through him, right? And so John the Baptist came to point everybody to the true light. Number three in our notes, be humble to make less of others and yourself in light of Jesus. Be humble to make less of others and yourself in light of Jesus. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John the Baptist comes. He has a specific ministry to point people to the light. And then John the author throws in this aspect here that he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so I think that there's two important points that I want to make from this. One, I think there was some confusion that began to surround the ministry of John. The video even touched on it a little bit, right? That, that some people were so enamored with John's ministry, because think about it, prior to John the Baptist and then Jesus showing up, there was really 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and then uh, these two men's ministries where, where God wasn't really being vocal, right? And so John the Baptist shows up and he's speaking as one who has authority from God. People are just coming in droves to hear his ministry. We want to know more. We want to know more from this guy, right? And so there was some confusion that set in that maybe John the Baptist is the Savior. Maybe he is the Messiah. And so there were people that he had to redirect. There's even a passage that we'll look at later where some of his disciples, his disciples grow concerned about the ministry of Jesus and how it may hurt John the Baptist's ministry. John the Baptist is like, you don't understand, I have to decrease, he's got to increase. Probably my ministry is decreasing and going away so that his can increase, because that's what my ministry is all about, right? We're supposed to be pointing people to that ministry, and so John's even willing to give up some of his disciples so that they can go follow Jesus personally, right? So what, what does that mean for us? Why, why is that such a significant verse for us? I think in two ways. One, others in your life aren't the light either, right? Man, I think we're guilty sometimes of setting other people up in our life uh, on an unhealthy pedestal, potentially. And then when those people fall, right, our faith is shaken because we had them in an inappropriate place. And there, there are people that are important in your life that are going to be very important in your spiritual journey. Pastors, youth pastors, small group leaders, uh, married couples that were older than you that helped you with your marriage when you were younger. All of us have people like that in our life. And all of us have stories of people that were that person in our life, and then they fell because of some type of poor decision-making, whether it was sexually, financially, whatever that may be. They, they moved into a position where they couldn't be held and valued in the same way because all of a sudden they, they've, they've moved, and maybe they, maybe they left the faith and never came back, 
right? This is a great reminder, and I've shared this with you before. Our faith doesn't need to be shaken if other Christians let us down. We don't follow Jesus because of other Christians following Jesus, and we don't stop following Jesus because other Christians stop following Jesus, because others aren't the light. So even if John the Baptist had had some type of falling away, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that everything that he said about the true light is true, right? So we don't even have to downplay, man, like, am I truly a Christian because the person who led me to Jesus, he doesn't even follow Jesus anymore. Yeah, because it's not about the person that led you to Jesus. It's about the message that that person brought to you, right? And so, man, none of us should have our faith shaken at the core to where we're, we're questioning, man, is the stuff that we've been following valid and true? Because the person who led me to this, I mean, they've made decisions now that, don't, that aren't in line with this anymore. It's a great reminder to us that John the Baptist wasn't the light. Your youth pastor wasn't the light. I'm not the light. Nobody that's significant in your life that you look to for spiritual guidance is the light. They're, they're placed in your life to point you to the light. And absolutely, if they are not pointing you to Jesus, they need to be kind of removed from your, your personal influence completely, right? And that leads kind of into the second point. You're not the light for others. You're not the light for others, right? And, and, and to me, that means that we've got to be content with life change in other people and, and, and us not to get the glory for it for us to not get the glory for it, right? Like you, you could be someone who brings somebody to our church, invites them to our church, and then all of a sudden they make a great connection with somebody else, and this person's like growing them up in the faith, and, and, and they've kind of turned their attention to this newfound relationship within this church that you brought them to, and you're kind of over here going, hey, I brought you here. Like, like why am I not getting to, like, to experience some of the fruit and some of the the, the, the reaping of the things that I was sowing into you, right? Like we we got we to distance ourselves from thinking that we deserve the glory for any aspects of pointing people to Jesus, right? We point people to Jesus and, and realize that we're not the light. We're pointing people to the light, and, and we're kind of in a partnership laboring together to make sure as many people as possible are pointed to the light. And if we don't get the glory for it, that, that's, that should be just fine with us. It should be just fine with us because we're not the light for others either, I think John the Baptist would have had that mindset, and I think he expresses that to even some people that raise cause and concern. Hey, Jesus is starting to gain a big following. Jesus is starting to get a lot of attention. John, you should be concerned about that. And John's like, no, I'm ready to celebrate that, right? Like, I'm ready to celebrate. If Jesus is getting the attention for what I've been doing, man, all the more, all the more. You know, he says, I, I want to decrease. I want him to increase, right? So we want to be uh, intentional to point every man to Jesus. We want to be humble enough, though, to make less of others and ourselves in light of who Jesus is, that he is the light, he's the one that we're pointing everybody to, and be content if we fail to get glory for that. All right, number four, be confident that Jesus is relevant to others. Be confident that Jesus is relevant to others. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. We can be very confident that we have every right to point people to Jesus because, number one, he's our creator. He's our creator. 
every single person that we come in contact with, we have every right to call them to submission to Jesus. Not because he's the God of our culture, not because he's the one that we learned about growing up, but because he's the creator of this universe. He's the creator of this universe, right? And so uh, John reminds us once again of that, that position that Jesus holds. He's already told us that he's the creator, but he reminds us once again that Jesus had every right to come into this earth in the ways that he did to save this earth because this earth belongs to him, right? And so he is our creator. So we can be confident, even in the midst of rejection, when we try to share Jesus with our coworker, and our coworker gets offended and, and says that we have no business talking about these things with them, we can be confident that we absolutely have every right to be talking about this because we're not trying to point them to our church. We're not trying to point them to anything but Jesus, right? I mean, I would encourage you, as you're sharing your faith with, with people at work, don't make Sovereign Hope the first church that you think they need to be connected to, especially if you work far away from here, right? Like, some, the last thing that somebody needs to be doing is driving a long way to try to be a part of this community because it brings all kinds of challenges, right? How do, I, how do I manage my schedule to be a part of the things that they're doing that, that's so far away? So if you work, you work downtown Atlanta, like, I would encourage you to be kind of aware of the person that you're talking to, where they live, churches that they could potentially be connected to, because not everybody needs to come to our church, right? But you have every right, every reason to communicate Jesus with your coworkers, right? Because you're trying to point them to their creator, not to this church, not to me, not to your small group, but to Jesus. You have every right to be confident that you are, you are doing the right thing by pointing them to the one who made them because they've been blinded to it. They've been, they've been darkened to it, right? Um, he has every right to come into this world, he has every right to make the demands that he does because all of his demands are good. And that's the thing that, that the lost world, the darkened world doesn't understand, right? They hear Jesus, they hear rules, they hear mandates, they hear expectations. What they fail to connect and what we have to be kind of the bridge to them for is helping them to see that as the creator, right, as the creator, he has the instruction manual for how to best enjoy his creation, Right? So when God mandates how we interact with each other, right? that we don't covet each other's stuff, that we don't take each other's stuff, right? like he's not trying to withhold joy and, and fun from us. He's trying to keep a, a, a semblance of society together that can, that can respect each other, that can care for each other, that can trust each other. Right? When he gives instructions about um, things that he's created like sex, he has absolutely divine wisdom and knowledge for how that's supposed to be enjoyed right? And so his mandates and his instructions in scripture are not meant to withhold things from us, right? They are meant to give us clarity for how the designer who designed it meant for it to be enjoyed, right? We've all had experiences where, maybe it's just me, where Christmas morning we pull the thing out that we, we decided to give to our kid as a present, and we're trying to get it together. We're trying to put it together, trying to make it work, and then finally we go back to the instruction manual and say, oh, this is why it's not working, right? Like, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and it's always man, if I just started with this, I would have saved myself a whole lot of time. But, but we look at it and we say, well, this, this is pretty obvious. It's pretty simple. Like I should be able to do this without the instruction manual. Jesus creates, Jesus designs, and we have every right to point people to him because it's good for them. 
right? It's fulfilling for them. He brings not just life, but the abundant life when we really understand he is the creator, he has designed his creation, right? So he's our creator. That's why we can be confident that Jesus is relevant to others. Number two, he's our only hope. He's our only hope. And so we can't think to ourselves, you know, that maybe, 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 maybe God will do it a different way besides the gospel in this person's life. Maybe I don't have to be intentional with the gospel with this person because, and I don't think we would ever verbalize this, but I think too often times we act like this that maybe God will excuse them because, you know, my, my experience with them, they're not that bad. Um, maybe they even are a Christian, you know, like they, they act like a Christian a lot of times and, you know, I don't know for sure, but, you know, I've, I've heard some things that maybe make me think they're not, but maybe I'm wrong, maybe they are. And, and we start to justify and think that maybe, maybe, maybe they get in. Right? Maybe they get in without me being intentional to, to clarify things and to communicate the gospel. But Jesus is our only hope. Right? And he comes into the world to shine light, and, and there is no other way. There is no other way. We have to believe in him, and that's why John wrote the gospel. Right? We have to believe that he's the Messiah. We have to believe that he's the Son of God. And God's deeply invested in his creation. The plan of salvation is really just a continuance of his act of creation. We talked about light and life in Genesis, and we see light and life in John chapter 1-2. That physical creation and now the spiritual creation. And we'll continue to hit on this as we get into John chapter 3 when he's talking with Nicodemus and he's talking about the spiritual rebirth. A lot of echoes from Genesis chapter 1 where light and life spring up from God as creator. Salvation, light and life spring up when Jesus comes into this world. All right, Um, lastly, number five, be prepared for resistance towards Jesus. Be prepared for resistance towards Jesus. For our kids, not everyone will want to hear about Jesus from us. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world didn't know him, and many in the world rejected him when he came. Number one, the world was blind to him. They couldn't see him. They couldn't see him. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about the blindness of the lost, and it's only unless Jesus steps in, the Holy Spirit steps in and lifts that blindness that we can see Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And that echoes what what we're talking about here. John's not the light. He's just pointing people to the light. Paul says, or yeah, Paul says, um, we don't proclaim ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's confessing, and I was in that state. I was blinded to this too. I was killing the church. I was killing Christians until Jesus shone into my heart, shone into the darkness and enlightened me to the goodness of the gospel. And that's what people need too. Uh, people need to, to be that, have that blindness lifted from them. So we should be prepared for resistance because people are blind. Uh, number two, and the world loves its darkness as well. The world doesn't naturally want to see him. It's interesting to think as, of Jesus as the creator. He creates our eyes, our ears, our heads, our tongues. 
And these very things that he created refused to see him, to hear him, to bow to him, and to confess him. The world loves its darkness. And there'll be resistance to us when we try to shine the light of Jesus into our context. But we have a responsibility to bring the light of the gospel into darkness, into darkness. And, you know, I had you guys dialoguing about this earlier in our, in our discussion groups, that the gospel speaks into so many areas of darkness that we find ourselves in with our culture. Um, and, and not that we need to shine light in like this massive political type movement. But we have to be faithful to shine light into darkness that our kids and our, uh, con- our contacts, our, our family members, our friends are exposed to. We've got to be able to shine light into the dark areas of our culture to help uh, our kids and, and our friends and our family members understand how the gospel speaks to those things, right? So I kind of listed off a few things that, that I think we have a responsibility in light of things happening today to bring light into with the gospel, right? Like false religions piece is kind of the easy thing that we quickly can, can kind of rally some troops to get behind, right? Like we're going to have a class on Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Scientology, and we're very quick to say, okay, I want to know about those things so that if I ever encounter those type of people, man, I'm ready to pounce on it and jump on it and speak to it and show how the gospel answers some of those things, right? But a lot of us don't work with, with people from those type of false religions uh, and if we do, it, it's probably uh, very minor, right? But we all work with people who are being given and sold a message from our culture about how to think about gender and sexuality crises, about the sanctity of life, right? This week, big decisions being made in certain states, changing laws, opening up more and more opportunities for abortion, racial reconciliation that we talked about earlier. Like, these are These are points of conversation that are taking place. And we need to know how the gospel speaks into these things to be able to shine light into dark areas for our kids and for our coworkers as well. This is what the gospel has to say about these things. These are, these are why these things are important and why they need to be talked about and how the gospel speaks to them, right? And so we're going we're to try to equip you Wednesday night with, with our Matt 28 night in regards to the second one. We're going to try to give you some, some tools and some ways to think about this crisis that we're experiencing, um, where, where gender's being called into question and, and sexuality's being called into question. And, and do we submit to what God's word has to say or not? And particularly, what does God's word even have to say about some of these things? I want you to be equipped, not because I want you to, to pick up uh, any type of political agenda with it, but because I want you to be able to, to equip your kids who are going to inevitably, as we continue to move forward, be around other kids who are embracing some of these things. You're not, you're not going to be able to protect them forever. You're not going to be able to protect them forever. And they need to know how the gospel speaks to these things, that the gospel is not completely disconnected. Like we have church and gospel over here, and then we have real life going on over here, that the gospel speaks light into these things, right? And so I want to I help expose us to some of these things moving forward to see how light can come into darkness, how it can inform and provide knowledge for how we should understand some of these things in light of how God has created things, okay? Um, application. In your context, 
And we've talked about this for years, kind of thinking these four quadrants, right? Like this is where we spend a lot of our time. We spend it at work, spend it with our family, both our immediate family and then our extended family, our neighborhood, and then our hobbies and interests, right? Places that we go, people that we interact with because of the things that we like to do, whether that's because your kids play, uh, play sports, and so you find yourself at the ball field surrounded by people who share a common interest, right? Or whether it's you spend early Saturday mornings at a hunting lease like me with other men who are, who are rallying around their desire to hunt, right? We all have hobbies and interests that put us crossing paths with people that otherwise we would not, right? So think about your life in those four quadrants. You've got work and family and neighborhood and hobbies and interests. Where are you succeeding and struggling to shine light into those contexts. John was given the task of bearing witness about Jesus, pointing people to the light. I'm sharing with you that I think we have the same responsibility, that now that John has, has paved the way as a forerunner, now that Jesus has come, Jesus now calls all of us to be similar witnesses. We don't, we don't proclaim ourselves, Paul says. We proclaim Jesus. We point people to Jesus right? How are we doing? Where, where would you say, and when you think about those four quadrants, where would you say you're actively trying to do that right now? And where are you not trying to do that right now that you could start? That you could start. Um, I want to read, because one area that I was convicted of this week, I'm going to disconnect that for a second and pull this up to read. See, um, I get a lot of emails that I just delete, 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 even when I've installed like certain um, pieces of software that are meant to filter some of that, I still get a lot of stuff that I, that I have no interest in. Um, and I had an email come through from Focus on the Family, delete, 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 and I just happened to catch a piece of it and I opened it up and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this real quick because I'm just intrigued as I was thinking through our sermon for today. And it was on uh, showing your kids how to be hospitable to your neighbors, right? And so I've only read a portion of the article. Um, but the, the first part was enough for me to just kind of step back and say, what does that, what does that mean for me, right? It said, imagine a world where neighbors said Christians throw the best parties in town and are the go-to people for help on big problems and issues. Imagine a world where children in your neighborhood knew Christian families were the safest people to ask for help when troubles impacted their own lives. Imagine a world where every Christian knew his neighbors enough to be of earthly and spiritual good to them. Imagine a world where our children are trained to be leaders in Christ, enjoying the benefits of a relationship with Jesus and extending those blessings to everyone he or she knows. I'm kind of a product of my family when it comes to neighborhood type stuff. Like, I lived in the same neighborhood from second grade until really until I went off to college, and then my mom stayed there until, you know, 2008 or nine, I guess, maybe a little bit later than that. Um, I knew one other person in our neighborhood, <laughs> like one other person. I never knew the people next to us. Um, I knew, me and Jen knew one girl across the street for like a minuscule amount of the time. Like we had like a falling out with her, like she made us mad one time, we were like, we're never going back over there. Like, <laughs> Um, we were probably mean to her too. Um, I don't think our parents, I don't know if our parents really ever met, but, but we had no relationship with, with people in our neighborhood. We just didn't know them. Like 
part of my dad's personality. Like we were just reclusive. I mean, we stayed in our house, um, but it was very foreign to me. To I didn't play with kids in the neighborhood, like nothing like that. Um, and that's something that I have to like work to overcome because that's my natural tendency to be that way in my neighborhood is to kind of replicate what I've always known. Like this is, this, is, this is normal for me to live in a neighborhood and not know people. But that article kind of stuck out to me because that's an area where as Lauren and I talk about our families growing and we got to think like, where are we going to be long-term? We may need to move. Like I got convicted just thinking, man, I don't want to leave and people not even notice that I've left because I had such a, a minuscule impact on this place. You know, like, I don't, I don't want my presence to be withdrawn. People be like, who cares? Like, I didn't know that person anyways. You know, like, I, oh, I see somebody's moving into 227 Piedmont Drive. We didn't know the people that lived there before, right? And so I got convicted. Like, I don't know how much longer we have in that neighborhood, but I want to be real intentional with the time that we do have left. Um, not because I want people to be sad if I leave, right? But, but I want people to, to feel hey, they're leaving and they helped us know Jesus better. I'm real thankful for the time that they were here and the time that, that they helped us to better connect to the light. Okay, so I'd encourage you to think through those four quadrants again. We've called you to do that in the past. I'll call you to do that again today. Where are you succeeding? Where are you maybe not succeeding? And how could you give some intentional effort in light of what we're talking about? How do we shine Jesus? How do we share light into some of those contexts? All right, let's pray together. God, we love you and we, we thank you and praise you for sending people like John um, to point people and prepare the way for Jesus to come. God, we thank you that you've raised up witness after witness after witness since Jesus' ascension to tell other people about Jesus. God, we thank you this morning for the people that told us about Jesus. None of us came to, to know you through self-effort. All of us were introduced to you by somebody who was introduced to you by somebody else. So God, we're thankful for witnesses. We're thankful for testimonies. We're thankful for people who, who were very intentional and purposeful and maybe in, in an effort of resilience when they were first rejected, continued to share, peop, share Jesus with people that ultimately shared him, him with us. So God, we're thankful that we're here today because... You brought somebody to tell us about Jesus and point us to Jesus. And God, I pray that we would be those type of witnesses who bear witness about Jesus to other people in our lives as well. Um, God, help us to be humble in not wanting glory for ourselves. God, help us to realize that we're not the light for anybody. God, help us to be protected from setting people up into that type of position in our own life to where when they fail, our, our faith is shaken by that. God, we want to keep our eyes completely focused on you as the true light. And God, help us to be intentional with how we even communicate the gospel at work, in our neighborhood, in our places of hobbies and interests. God, help us not to just be intentional to share it with people that are like us. God, help us to see that grace is extended without distinction. God, help us to be a, a, a light that doesn't show distinction either. God, that we'd be very intentional with the people that you've allowed to cross our paths, that we would point every man to Jesus. And God, we know that it's not simply an act of obedience by us that, that causes people to come to you, that ultimately your Holy Spirit has to go and, and shine light into their hearts, that we're simply an agent 
that helps point people to the object of faith. And so, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would even now, in anticipation of conversations that we may have with people tomorrow in an immediate response to what we've heard today, God, that your Holy Spirit would go forth and pave the way for our testimonies to be heard and responded to. God, help us to be convicted where we need to be convicted to make changes where we need to make changes. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.